This episode contains brief references to suicidal ideation and descriptions of drowning, graphic body horror, and the harm and death of miners and animals. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. If you or someone you love is struggling with suicidal thoughts or the impulse to self-harm, please seek help. The United States National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The following is an excerpt from Gertrude Atherton's The Striding Place, where the lead character first sees the story's title location. Weigel was not a coward, but he recalled uncomfortably the tales of those that had been done to death in the Strid. Below the great rocks which formed the walls of the Strid was believed to be a natural vault onto whose shelves the dead were drawn. The spot had an ugly fascination. Weigel stood, visioning skeletons uncoffined in green, the home of the eyeless things which had devoured all that had covered and filled that rattling symbol of man's mortality. He shuddered and turned away, impelled, despite his manhood, to flee the spot. As he did so, something tossing in the foam below the fall caught his eye and arrested his step. Weigel stood rigid, breathless. Was that a hand? It thrust itself still higher above the boiling foam, turned sideways, and four frantic fingers were distinctly visible against the black rock beyond. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today's story, The Striding Place, was first published in 1896 by author Gertrude Atherton. The title of the story reflects its iconic setting, a small body of water in Yorkshire, England, known as the Bolton Strid. The Strid is practically a creek, narrow and filled with flowing brown water surrounded by moss-covered stones. It's picturesque, even fairy tale like But this enchanted-looking stream is actually one of the deadliest rapids in all of the UK, if not all of Europe. The real danger of the Strid is that it isn't what it appears to be. Hidden underneath its surface is a whirlpool-like current and underwater crevices that will trap and drown anyone unlucky enough to fall into its waters. Some of the victims' bodies are never recovered, which doesn't bode well for one of our characters in today's story. 
I will tell this tale from the perspective of Weigel, a wealthy young man whose friend goes missing in the scariest place he can imagine. Right near the Strid. Coming up, we head for dangerous waters. Hello, lover of things that go bump in the night. This is Dan Cummins. And I'm Lindsay Cummins. And we co-host the paranormal horror podcast, Scared to Death. Are shadow people real? What about demonic possessions? Poltergeist activity? Do you believe in ghosts? Malevolent entities? Are aliens real? Could you be abducted? We don't know. But what we do know is that we have over 230 episodes of stories on our podcast, Scared to Death, exploring all of the possibilities. Each week, we share several supposedly true stories that have been gathered from around the world and submissions from our own fans of allegedly true tales. Curious about the paranormal? Just like a spooky story? Do you need more fear to fuel you through your long work days? Come join us. New episodes of Scared to Death are released every Tuesday night. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you end up scared to death. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. I will admit, there's a perversity at the heart of every hunting trip. First, we all sip tea and eat sandwiches. Then we chase some terrified creature through the woods. Finally, we end its suffering. Afterwards, we return to the lodge for brandy and cigars. Then we begin again. But on my last trip, this pleasant monotony was interrupted by the disappearance of my best friend. And no one but me seemed to care. Wyatt Gifford could carry himself through any situation with a wry smile and indomitable wit. He was the kind of man who took pride in his bearing and appearance, always wearing distinctive cufflinks and a perfectly tailored ensemble. His interest in upkeep had never faltered. For the entirety of our near three decades of friendship, he had never displayed signs of melancholy, fear, or erraticism. And yet, he'd been missing for three days. The rest of our party seemed to think he'd just wandered off, they were more bothered by him supposedly abandoning his duties as host than the idea that he could be in danger. They assured me that Wyatt would return, and that in the meantime, he would want us to continue the festivities without him. But the usual entertainments held no value for me. The cigars tasted like nothing but ash, the calls of the hounds sounded tortured, and every echoing gunshot felt as if it had gone through Wyatt's skull. I left my hunting rifle with my valet and took to the rolling hills on my own. Wyatt was supposed to be by my side. These hills belonged to us, quite literally in Wyatt's case, as the estate belonged to his family. As children, he and I would cavort around in search of some great adventure. I couldn't imagine him having one without me now. Wyatt knew his ancestral lands as well as any man could. He could point out every creature's hiding place. 
even the abandoned nests of birds now ten years gone. He knew how old the trees were, how many strikes of lightning they'd endured, and how many were dying beneath their layers of bark. He knew about all the organisms on his land, both living and dead. My pace slowed at the thought. Though Wyatt had shown no tendency toward dark musings in the past, there was one event I feared may have changed that. A decade ago, one of our college mates took a fall from his horse. For years after, he did not speak. He lay in London's best asylum, his eyes glassy and far away. Wyatt and I visited as often as we could, but there was so little of our friend left a faded painting where a vibrant man used to be. Four years after the accident, he passed away. We knew it was inevitable, of course, but the whole event was far more jarring than we'd anticipated. At his burial, he looked the same, yet eerily still. There was no serenity of sleep, despite the mortician's best efforts. He looked locked in his body, as he had since the accident. I tried to remember that appearances were deceiving. I wanted to believe our friend had found some peace, but Wyatt had the most peculiar look on his face. He seemed disturbed by the matter. I hope his soul remains in his body even now, he muttered. I lowered my voice, worried another member of the bereaved had heard him. What a cruel thought. I know you're mourning, but you mustn't be selfish. He's suffered enough. Let him go. Wyatt placed his hand against our friend's cold cheek as if he could still feel him. But if he's still in there, perhaps he can sense the weight of love we still have for him. One last moment before he goes... wherever. I shivered and turned to him. You'd want this to be locked inside your body until burial. A strange look came over Wyatt, a deep and honest sadness. I'm not sure I exactly want it. But I suspect it's true. It makes a certain kind of sense, the waiting to pass on. It was such a strange thing to say. I couldn't stop myself from expressing my deepest fear at the thought. What if it hurts? I asked him. He had no response. I slipped suddenly and stumbled to regain my footing. Apparently I was too wrapped up in my memories to pay attention to the environment. The barks of impatient hounds sounded in the distance. Alone in the hills, it was hard not to think about the soul being locked inside the body like Wyatt had mentioned. If I took a poor step now, how long would I be trapped in my own broken form, waiting for someone to care that I was gone? That both of us were gone? I needed Wyatt there. I pictured him with a gun slung over his shoulder, whistling, explaining to me he'd grown tired of the fowl we hunted, so he'd taken off on his own adventure. But of course, he wasn't really next to me. There was no whistling. It had been three days. A long time. As I continued to walk through the woods, I told myself my fears were unfounded, that my visions of Wyatt's blank eyes and hollow face were just nightmares. 
He was simply resting in the woods, having lost his way. Except he was on his own land, where we had played as boys, us and... Suddenly, I heard a laugh and turned around. Behind me, a small boy, covered in mud, peered out from behind a tree. He stared at me with wide, unblinking eyes. Somehow, I recognized his cloud-gray eyes, the only thing I could make out from his muddy form. He looked more like a tiny golem than a child. There was a flurry of commotion from the tree line. A group of birds rose upwards across the sky like after a stray gunshot. When I looked back at the boy, he was gone. Worried he'd been hurt, I rushed over to the tree he'd been hiding behind. But when I reached the trunk, there was no sign of him. No footprints, nor smear of mud where he'd touched the tree. It was as if he'd never been there at all. Suddenly, I realized where I'd last seen the boy. It had been over 20 years ago, when he was alive. Cold panic flooded my body. I now knew exactly where Wyatt had gone. And he was in terrible danger. Coming up, Weigel discovers his friend's nightmarish fate. Massive spiders, fierce crocodiles, violent kangaroos. With all of the dangers lurking within Australia, one species remains feared above the rest. Humans. Hi listeners, it's Alastair from Parcast, and I'm hosting a new Spotify original called Crime Down Under. Every Sunday on Spotify, take a trip to the oldest continent for some of the most shocking true crime cases in modern history. Featuring a compilation of episodes from shows across Parcast Network, Crime Down Under exposes the vicious serial killers, mysterious disappearances, and terrifying crime families whose stories still stop Aussies dead in their tracks. From the beaches and deserts to the cities and suburbs, the land down under may be vast, but the horrors are hiding around every corner. Catch a new episode of Crime Down Under every Sunday. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. I rushed down the wooded path as the memories came flooding back. Frigid water and smooth rock, childhood dares that everyone was scared to try. I knew where Wyatt was, where he'd gone after leaving our camp. That storied spot of danger, the Bolton Strid. It was little more than a creek to the unknowing eye, no more than six feet across at its widest point. But the stream was as dangerous as the deadliest riptide. The undertow would pull you in and hold you under where deep crevices had formed in the rocks beneath the surface, and there you would drown in the darkness until you ceased to struggle. Then your still body would knock against the jagged rock wall over and over, caught in the endless current. This element of danger, of course, made it a popular haunt for little boys in the area. Our favorite spot was the tightest part of the stream. If you believed God was on your side, you might be able to make the leap across. 
Though we played on the rocks beside it and claimed to be ready to jump, I had never been brave enough to try. Wyatt hadn't either. The same could not be said of little Freddy Unwin. Freddy was the son of Wyatt's groundskeeper. He was our constant playmate when we were children and the bravest of us three. He had just turned ten when he tried to leap the gap. He dropped so quickly. His little head bobbed in the water as the rapids carried him swiftly downstream. At first, it seemed like he could swim away. Then, he turned like a log. He cried out, throwing himself in the opposite direction. But the current swept him into the rocks. His body went limp. The rapids turned him over again. Then the water swallowed him up, and he sank beneath the surface. We had been too fearful to do much of anything, but Wyatt was the one to eventually get a fallen branch. He thrust it into the water, calling Freddy's name, but the current only tugged at the wood, and I had to hold on to Wyatt's waist to keep him steady on the bank. After a half an hour of searching, we finally pulled the stick out of the rapids. The bottom half was cracked and split. As we looked back at the water, we saw a pair of small eyes gazing at us from beneath the surface. I cried out and clutched at Wyatt, but in an instant, they were gone. Wyatt looked at me, and I looked at him. We did not have to speak to come to a shared agreement. Whatever we'd seen was a lie of the mind, a shiver of guilt for our fallen friend. The currents of the Strid did not give up what they had taken. They never found the boy's body. I sprinted down the length of the forest until the thicket of trees started to thin. Soon, grass gave way to moss-covered rocks, then finally it all ended at a sharp drop over churning brown water. I had reached the Strid. I looked for any sign of Wyatt's auburn hair or his coat draped on the rocks, but I found neither. Instead, I felt a touch on my shoulder. My arm reached up instinctively to hold whatever was grasping me there, but it was the rough fabric of my jacket, nothing more. I glanced back at the water and was nearly blinded by a flash of light. I rushed forward, hopeful, leaning carefully over the edge. There was a gold cufflink in the water with the letters WG engraved in a looping font. I had been with Wyatt when he purchased these links. This one had to be his. The cufflink bobbed to the surface. Then something pale and almost contorted followed underneath it. Five small shapes fought their way through the rushing water. I gasped. They were fingers. A hand broke the surface, grasping desperately at the air. Wyatt was fighting to free himself from the strid's suction before it pulled him down. He must have been swept downstream moments before I arrived. Ignoring my own safety, I leaned forward and reached for him. Wyatt's hand gripped my own, sending small rivulets of brown water all over my coat. I pulled as hard as I could, but the stones were more slippery than I remembered. 
I slid closer to the churning water and screamed for help, frantically scanning the empty landscape. As I did, I felt a nauseating shiver of recognition. This was not just the same area. This was the bend in the stream where we had lost Freddy. It was the same spinning current, the same narrow expanse that made it seem like rescue was possible. But I knew the truth. Pulling yourself to safety was impossible. But perhaps I could still save Wyatt. My legs were already straining. The moss was slippery under my feet. If I lost my balance, we'd both be gone. And then no one would come to our rescue. I'd left the hunting party unannounced. None of our friends knew where I was, and there was no chance someone would simply stumble upon us. People did not visit the Strid unless they were feeling particularly brave. Or they had a different goal in mind. I tugged harder on Wyatt's hand and got a glimpse of his wrist. The skin was covered in bruises, gold, purple and dark blue, as though he'd been thrown from rock to rock under the water. I worried about how long he'd been under, yet he was still struggling. I was going to pull him out alive. I yanked again and Wyatt's forearm broke the surface. Brackish water sprayed across my face and I could not see. Then his hand slipped through my fingers. I searched the surface, squinting through stinging eyes as panic surged through me. I had to get closer. I would risk slipping in, but if I hesitated, it could be too late for Wyatt. I had to try. One last time. I braced myself on the rocks and plunged my hands under the water, praying that they would find him again. I felt the touch of many things, but nothing felt like Wyatt's hand. Nothing felt… alive. I was certain I was picking through a collection of bodies, all in various levels of decay. The corpses slipped against my fingers before falling away again into the recess below. The current tugged at me, and I tumbled forward, nearly landing in the water myself. Then, something grabbed me and held on. I panicked for a moment before remembering it was Wyatt. It had to be. I held on with all my might and pulled, falling backwards on the rocks. To my great relief, my grip held, and Wyatt came with me onto the shore. His wet hair clung to his skin, covering his face. I searched frantically for a pulse, but felt nothing at his wrist nor his neck. A tortured sob left my throat as I realized there was no hope. Wyatt was gone. I found myself wanting to cradle his cheek just as he had cradled our friends to let him know he was with me now. And if he'd been waiting around in his body, he could finally let go. I gently drew the sodden hair from his face and gagged. His entire face had been mangled, a bloated mess of flesh and blood. There were no eyes for him to see me with, no ears to hear. Wyatt had been alone in his pain, and then he was gone.
Though Gertrude Atherton is perhaps one of the most prolific women novelists of the early 20th century, her legacy has recently been re-examined due to her white supremacist beliefs and other controversial political views. Without ignoring these facts, the striding place as a standalone work has endured as one of the best horror stories to come out of America at the time. Like our version today, the original ends rather abruptly. Weigel pulls his friend from the water only to find that Wyatt has no face. This is the tale's true horror. Readers are left to ruminate on that final harrowing image and everything it implies. Because if Wyatt had in fact remained in his body until Weigel brought him to shore, he would have suffered for hours, his face having been battered against the rocks until he was unrecognizable. For Gertrude Atherton, the pain she imagined Wyatt to be in as his lifeless body churned beneath the water was likely the most terrifying element of the tale. But perhaps what's more frightening is the possibility that this was inspired by her real-life story. In 1887, Gertrude's husband, George Atherton, died of a stomach hemorrhage while on a ship to Chile. Normally, the sailors would have buried him at sea, but George Atherton was the son of one of San Francisco's wealthiest families, and the sailors were certain his family would want his body. But they also didn't want to smell him rotting on the voyage home. So they stuffed him into a barrel of rum, planning to deliver it to the Athertons when they reached port. The legend goes that the barrel was left on the Atherton's front porch, and when the butler went to open it, he found George's floating body inside. Though this story seems to be more fiction than fact, the image of her husband's corpse in a large cask of alcohol must have left an impression on Gertrude. It's likely she hoped that Wyatt Gifford was wrong and that her husband had left his body before being entombed in rum. Yet this thought clearly troubled her, as it does anyone whose loved one's body is missing or damaged. We frequently tried to see death as a potential end to pain. But what if it's just the beginning? Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with another chilling tale. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kerry Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil Ritter and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Stacey Lee Nemec and Alex Garland. Fact-checking by Audriana Romero and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden.
Hi there, it's Alastair from Parcast. You may have heard of the Somerton Man, Azaria Chamberlain, or the Wonder Beach Murders. But do you know the whole terrifying truth? Be sure to check out my new series, Crime Down Under, where we travel to the land down under to explore the most shocking true crime cases in Australian history. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Crime Down Under, and catch a new episode every Sunday, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.